0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. We are in the final furlong, the last phase of our series, God's Healthy Household. And God has been encouraging, challenging, instructing, admonishing, comforting us as we've gone through the book of 1 Timothy. And it's such a blessing and it's so beautiful to know that we are God's house, Amen. the place where He has purposed to take up residence. And dwelling among us, living among us, living within us, is to be a reality, not just for us, but to those who peer in and who would wonder, you know, what goes on in that house? What is that house like? Furthermore, is that house stable? (laughs) Is it habitable? And yet we see God has set apart a people who would bear his name, of whom he is not ashamed to be called our God. He who is perfect in all his ways is not ashamed to be called our God. That makes me just want to get right down on my knees right now. Because God is so great. And so let's look at these final verses, verses 11 to 21 in 1 Timothy 6. And really catch the the heart of the apostle as he closes this letter to his protege, to his young leader in training that he's developed and sent now to bear this message to the church in Ephesus. Because we will see that there is a strong emphasis There's fighting talk in these closing verses that is instruction to us all. So let me read and then I'll pray. But as for you, a man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in an unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be glory, honor, and eternal dominion, Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Lord, as we sit today to contemplate your word, may we first and foremost recognize that it is your word. And as we consider it as such, Lord, may we reverence it, esteem it, and uphold it above our very own ideas, above our very own lives. Lord, may we submit to your word and not seek to lord over it. And as we submit to your word, Lord, we pray that you would work in our lives by your spirit, using your word to transform us that we might be more like you. Have your way among us, Lord. We recognize that truly You are the only sovereign. And we are privileged to be your people. Encourage our hearts, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you could say these words after me. Run. Okay, you're gonna need to say it with a little bit more effort than that. Run. Fight. fight, obey, obey. Charge. charge, guard. guard. Run. Run, fight, fight. Obey. Obey. obey, charge, charge. Guard. guard. Now, does that sound kind of weak? No, I don't mean how you repeated it. <laughs> but do those sound like weak words? They sound like strong, intense, clear Unambiguous instructions, right or wrong. And this is God's word to us. You see, there are some things in life that are worth more than life itself. For some of you, you might say, you know what? My children. I would give my life for my children. My children are worth more than my very life to me. Some of you may say that. Some of you may say, my spouse... is worth more than my very life. I would take a bullet. Now, I remember, I said take, not give. Give. I would take a bullet for my spouse. Well, some of you would say, my business. (laughs) I've worked so hard. I have put blood, sweat and tears into this. Now, it might be a bit extreme to say you would give your life for your business. But the reality is that even if it didn't mean the end of your life, there are extremes that you would go to to fight for your business. Such that you would allow your life to be disrupted in order to save your business. But there is something greater than any and all of those things. Business, take it or leave it, some would say. Spouse, take it or leave it, some would say. (laughs) Children, that's all troublesome anyway. (laughs) And yet, we recognize there is something far greater of value. And that is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, it was by means of Christ's life, meaning death, that we came to appreciate and understand the gospel. Furthermore, not just that we came to appreciate and understand the gospel, but actually that we were set free by the gospel from eternal damnation. Set free by eternal, from eternal damnation by reason of the gospel. And you see, when we understand things from that eternal perspective, we realize that regardless, even death that we might encounter here and now is only a temporary situation because our life is abundant and eternal in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Amen? Amen? Now, the person who lives in the reality of that, who, would, who lives with a healthy end in view, or a healthy view of the end, is someone who will live sold out and be ready to give all for the gospel. And we see this at the heart of the text here in chapter 6. Paul already alluded to it when he began to speak about those who seek gain, financial gain, over godliness. In verse 5 in our chapter, he said that there are those who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining, according to their own ideas, that godliness is a means to an end, meaning money. But he says, great gain is in godliness with contentment. That's the true prosperity gospel. For we brought nothing into the world. Now listen, look at the, 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 the um, association that the apostle makes here with regards to our willing acceptance of, of godliness being great gain. Why? Because we brought nothing into this world. We came into this world naked. And we can take nothing out. You've heard that Steve Jobs, who created Apple, was worth (laughs) <laughs> he, he was worth more than some countries when he died. Do you know how much he left behind when he died? You know how much Steve Jobs, you know, you know how much Apple incorporated his wealth? You know how much he left behind when he died? Huh? He left all of it, bruv, you're right. It doesn't really matter, does it? Because you can't take it with him. It's still here for whoever else is running the company, I forget his name now, to be having a laugh with. Can't take anything out of this world. And so, we look with the end in view. What is the end of the matter? And here at the center of our verses, we see those instructions that Paul is given to us via Timothy, centered on the fact that Jesus will come again. That which is the motive for our responsive obedience to these instructions. Jesus will come again. How often do you think about that? how often do you actually really factor in that things are not always going to be like this? Things are not going to remain as they are. Elections, economics, education, the issues of life, There's going to come a point in time when it's all going to cease and Jesus is going to come again. Look with me, if you will, at Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, verse three, and I'm gonna read selected verses. Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him and they said to him, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? You see, from their understanding of Bible prophecy, they knew that there was gonna come an end to the age of man. The book of Daniel testifies of the ancient of days who like a mountain will come and crush all other kingdoms. And this mountain will fill the earth. And this was the anticipation with which the disciples looked at Jesus thinking, okay, so now we're gonna roll up on Jerusalem. Swords in hand, Jesus at the front. And the Romans are going to run for their lives because this is it. The kingdom has come. And even as they asked this question in verse 3, they were not thinking some future time yet to come. They were thinking, how many weeks or months? Maybe years before we start moving. And Jesus says, in verse 4, see that no one leads you astray. You know, there are many who would seek to say that Jesus is not coming again. Or, as we read later on in Paul's letters to the Thessalonians and so on, that he's come already. There's going to be all kind of spurious talk. Will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And then the end. It will come. Now, has anyone ever proven Jesus to be a liar? Never. I mean, if Jesus was a liar, he would have stayed dead in the grave. Because to lie is to break the ninth commandment. And Jesus would have been guilty of sin. And yet in him... There was no sin found. And how do we know this? Because death couldn't hold him down. Jesus said, the devil's got nothing on me. Hmm. Verse 21, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. So if you're chasing signs and wonders, be very careful where they lead you to. Because Jesus says that they will be used to lead people astray. If it were possible, even the elect. But the elect won't be led astray because they esteem God's word even above his very name, as the scripture says. See, I have told you beforehand to be forewarned is to be forearmed. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. You see, Jesus is going to come again and everyone will know it. It's not gonna be a secret revelation as some of the cults have suggested. Oh, he came in 1914, but no one knew. When Jesus comes again, it's gonna be an interruption to your regular programming You will have alerts on your mobile phone that you never knew your phone was capable of receiving. All will know. Hmm. Jesus is coming again. And when he comes again, he is coming in power. He's not coming as the slain lamb but rather the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. And this is the hope and expectation that we have in Christ. This is the joy and the delight that we have in Christ, knowing that we do not serve a dead Lord, that Jesus is alive and he will return. How does that affect your life? How does that affect your thinking? How does that affect your decision making? How does that shape your values? How does that condition your aspirations and dreams? Knowing that Jesus is going to come back. It is a certainty And as Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour except the Father, not even Harold Camping. And yet Jesus is faithful. Look with me at Revelation chapter 19. that part at the back of the Bible that they call the scary part. Before we used to see horror films on TV, we just used to read the book of Revelation. (laughs) Verse 11, then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who in in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast. And those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. see this is a prediction of the end a prediction of the events that will accompany the return of Christ we serve those of us who have surrendered to Christ as Lord and put our faith in him we serve a risen Lord and Saviour who is King of Kings and this gospel is a gospel of the kingdom in Mark chapter 1 It says that Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And the kingdom is an eternal kingdom that has no end. And we have a glorious hope before us. And a glorious gospel in hand to preach. And So turning back to 1 Timothy 6. Ultimately, we are exhorted to fight faithful to the finish. Fight faithful to the end. And in order to do that, in verse 11, we are told to run, to flee, to run with energy and effort to run with endurance. And this run is a purposeful run. You see, we're told to run from something and run to something else. We're to run from the false teachings and the false practices that have been spoken of. Those who would be promoting godliness as a means of gain and the other falsehoods that we've read of throughout the book. We're to run from these things. Some of us need to lock off our subscription to some of them, quote-unquote, so-called Christian TV channels. Detune it from your TV. Some of us have got some people that we need to put at arm's length. Because, like these false teachers in Ephesus, they're promoting another doctrine contrary to the gospel. And we're allowing them to influence our lives and thinking. Some of us need to lock off some of these podcasts that we're getting. Paul said, flee these things. Don't play with them. Don't dilly-dally, flee them. Flee them and pursue righteousness. So as you run from those things, it's not like those people running in the horror film and they don't know where they're running, you know, they're just trying to run. Freddy's coming, It's like running, 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 don't know where they're running. Nowhere to run to for refuge and safety. No, we have a place called righteousness. In Proverbs 16, it says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and are safe. Pursue, run to righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. And we get a a picture here of someone who is whole, who is complete, who is mature as a believer. They walk in righteousness. The righteousness of Christ, not our own. They appreciate and understand the means by which they have been bought and stand right before God. And as a result, that is worked out by godly living, behavior that is in accord with God's name. They hold fast in faith, trusting not in themselves, but in the Lord who bought us. Loving the brethren not self-centered, me-focused, but outward-looking, loving the brethren, loving the lost. They're steadfast, they keep going, they're constant. Not here today, gone tomorrow. Here for a month, don't see them for free. Steadfastness is a mark of maturity. Yesterday, we were at the wedding. I took a, a picture with Pastor Patrick, Pastor Rob. Put it up on Instagram. <laughs> and I, and I labelled it, my dons. Them man that are my dons, you know. Don't watch that. Over 20 years, them man they have been my dons. How many people can say that? Right? Brothers who have been faithful, steadfast. Brothers, them that got my back when I've been going through it. Guys that I can look to for some kind of example when I've needed correction. Guys that I've not held back to just like, hey, you need to fix up. Steadfast. <laughs> my dons. Try <laughs> no. And yet, this is a, a walk of gentleness. This is fight and talk, but the man of God is not quick to strive. To fight the good fight of the faith. A phrase you've heard us say before, a quote I heard once when in a conference in Bradford from a brother called um, Don McClure. He said, so many of us as Christians, we live with a vacation attitude whilst living in a war zone. Spiritual warfare is a reality. We don't fight against flesh and blood. Yes, there are powers and principalities, rulers of wickedness in high places. We recognize that the weapons of our warfare are not physical, they're not carnal. It's not hard words and hard punches. But the fight that we fight is one of faith because Christ has already won the war. And so we trust in that which he has accomplished and assert that victory. And in that fighting, we don't just fight in regards to an aimless fight, but there is a taking hold. This is some UFC talk. I see them guys punching and elbowing and then they're grabbing a man and pulling him. I'm like, whew. Some exertion there. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made a good confession. Some have lost the will to live, let alone fight. Where is your fight? Are you gonna take both hands and grab hold of this eternal life that Christ has purchased, that Christ has provided, that Christ has presented? Jesus has done the hard part. Some of us just kind of lay back with this. Well, okay, Sarah, sarah whatever will be will be. God is sovereign in it, so it's all gonna work out. Now, nah, God has given us a mandate, a responsibility. There is a necessity that we respond by his grace to that which he has done. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called. It's been provided. It's been given. It's like someone buying you a car. Trying to give you the keys and you won't take them. The car's there, it's yours, drive it. You gotta take hold of the keys. It requires a determination. It requires a confidence in Christ. It requires a healthy sense of responsibility. And so if that is your profession as it was for Timothy, who had made that profession of faith. Don't allow the devil to rob you. Don't allow Satan to rob you of what is rightfully yours. Paul says in verse 13, I charge you in the presence of God. This is serious talk right here. Paul takes this legal speak as if uh, an an officer were to say, I arrest you in the name of the law. But this is of the highest order. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. There's nothing in life we ought to fear. There's nothing in life we ought to allow to hinder us because... God is greater. He is the one who gives life to all things, including us. And to whom we will give an account. And of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. And so Paul's encouraging Timothy, look, Stand against all odds. Fight the good fight. Take hold of eternal life. You've made the confession. Do this thing. Just like Jesus, who stood before Pilate and made the good confession. Having been arrested, an innocent man, arrested like a criminal, like a murderer, beaten, presented before Pilate, having the opportunity at that stage to forego all that was awaiting him, to forego the cross, to forego forego the whipping, to avoid all of those things. He could have done that. And yet he didn't. He made the good confession. In Matthew 27, verse 11... Jesus stood before the governor, Pilate, and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Right there. Jesus could have been like, ah, look, don't watch that. It's all right. People have been saying all kind of loose things about me, but you know what? I'm ready to go home now. But no. Jesus responded, You have said so, knowing that this would be the claim of blasphemy that the Jews would bring against him in requiring his death the death of the cross. You see, Jesus has gone before us. Jesus has, under the most intense of circumstances, made the good confession. And it wasn't just any confession. But as Paul goes on in verse 14, he is recognized and esteemed as the Lord of lords. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is him that we are in relationship with. And so we have our third word, obey. Verse 14, Paul says to Timothy, keep the commandment, obey. Unstained and free from reproach. Unstained, unsullied, undirtied and free from reproach. That we would do the right thing in the right way. Because so often we don't, right? So often we attempt to do the right thing in our own way. And we dirty, we stain the work of God. And we bring disrepute to the word of God. And yet, no. Do the right thing in the right way until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. My gran had this saying, it may be long, but it won't be forever. (laughs) You ever been in that situation when you're at work and you're just counting down the minutes on Friday (laughs) because you know the weekend starts here. And you're just clock-watching. And you get to 4.45, and you're like, oh, you might finish at 5.30. Man, I've only got 45 minutes left. And, you know, sometimes you might even just begin to just... In your mind, you've already wound down. You start shuffling papers. (laughs) Trying to look busy. Because you know that there's an end in sight. Now, those of us who are faithful... (laughs) What do we do? We finish well. We're like, you know what, I've got 45 minutes left. I'm gonna bang out this work. I'm gonna go hard and go home. And that's what the Lord is encouraging us to do. Go hard till you go home. Be faithful. There is an end in view. Be encouraged. There will be a cosmic Friday 5.30 awaiting us. And so we obey. We obey until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 15, which he will display at the proper time. When the time is right, and let's not be caught up in speculations, and even, you know, there are those that will try and predict the day and so on, as as has happened, but even so, there are often those who will, in a lesser sense, want to argue over what they call eschatology and eschatological issues, end-time issues. And is it pre-trib or mid-trib? Is it post-trib? Is it pre-wrath, post-wrath? Like... All of these things that are interesting discussions to be had. I love them discussions. I'd rather have them talk than watch Emmerdale. More interesting, more edifying to the soul. But ultimately, it's a non essential issue. So I'm not going to have beef with you if we don't see it the same. We're supposed to be able to chop it up with a smile have our talk, still love one another and be able to just get on with serving God. Because when it's the proper time, it will be the proper time. But let us not lose sight of the fact that there will be a proper time. And even as I look at my own life, I think that to a certain extent, I've allowed that to happen. I've allowed the the reality of Christ's second coming to be pushed to the back of my mind. And when I'm going through, and when life's on top, it doesn't serve as an encouragement to me. I I feel like this is it, and I've got to contend with this, and this thing's going to consume me. But actually, no. I'm more than a conqueror. And I know there will come that time when all of this will be behind And so, he who is blessed and only sovereign, listen to the status. We see six statements here as to the grand status of our God. He is sovereign. Sovereign is a term that we sometimes hear in Christian circles. You don't really hear it that much outside of it. But it just means that he is the highest. He is the law above all laws. God is likened unto no one. He is in need of no one. He serves no one. He is supreme. And even that is an understatement. And when we think about that, that includes us. Because some of us, we say, yeah, God is sovereign. But when we approach him in prayer and when we lay our expectations on him, we don't remember that he's sovereign. Like Lord, how is it that I'm still not married? Like as if God is supposed to work to our timetable and our schedule, we forget that He's sovereign. Lord, how is it still that the money is just so tight? Well, God is sovereign, and as we ask those questions, we have to look first at ourselves. And say, Lord, how is it that I'm not aligning with your will? Where am I misunderstanding you? Because there is no wrong in you. Neither in your will, neither in your way, and neither in your when. There's no wrong in you. He is the king of all kings and lord of all lords. So Obama's back in business. Huh? Well, Jesus is still King of Kings. Amen. He's still Lord of Lords. He alone has immortality. All other life perishes, all other life comes to an end. And yet, God, who is the giver of life, alone has immortality. He dwells in unapproachable light. Unapproachable light. A light so intense and so, so pure that there, are, there is none that can approach him. God said to Moses, hmm, let me just shield you in the rock, yeah? Because no one can see me and live. That light isn't just some fabricated light. It is the light of his glory. It's not some external or secondary source. It is the light of God's glory. And none can approach him unless he bid them come. No one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. This is the God we serve. This is the God that we are to give ourselves to. And when we consider life, when we consider our lives, when we consider our purpose, from that perspective, we recognize it begins to make sense of a lot of things, right? It helps us to have a healthy perspective of the trials that we go through, of the challenges that we face, as we consider the victory that we have, when we consider the greatness of our God, we recognize that it's going to be all right. We recognize that we can't lose. We recognize that we have a responsibility. We recognize that We need to be faithful. And so Paul, as he zones out here, as he did in in chapter one, in this moment of exhorting Timothy, he just catches a glimpse of God's glory and he zones out on the greatness of our God. It's like he, he catches himself. And as for the rich in this present age, Those who think they're something, I mean, look at the God we're talking about. And then you've got these who are rich in this present age, right? In contrast. Charge them not to be haughty, not to be proud, not to be arrogant, not to floss your riches, to esteem your riches, to set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Now you might hear that today and think, well, I'm not rich, that don't really apply to me. (laughs) And yet, you live among the world's 10% most wealthy. And when I say among, I'm not just talking about, you know, the rich people in the merchant banks or with the houses in Mayfair. The UK as a country is among the world's 10% richest. We have a quality of life that far exceeds 90% of the rest of the world. And so this text is for us. Don't get it twisted. Don't put your hope in the uncertainty of riches. There are those who, some years back, put their hope in the pension fund that was managed by Robert Maxwell. And we know the end of that story. Devastating, money gone. Money laid up for the future, gone. No hope. We look at what's going on around the world today. Iceland. Greece, I mean, nations whose government can't even pay their employees. And we think that riches are the answer. All I need is to win the lottery and I'm set up. And you read about the, the X amount of lottery winners who regret the day that they ever won. One individual who used to be a a rubbish collector, a dustman, won the lottery, messed up his life and said, I wish I was back collecting rubbish. I was happier and more contented then. True story. Don't put our hope in uncertain riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. One of the things we see here in this chapter that the Apostle Paul is really challenging Timothy to challenge us as the people of God to guard against is spiritual adultery. It's not a term that we hear often these days, even amongst Christians. And yet, those who would put their trust in anyone or anything other than God are guilty of committing spiritual adultery. You see, God isn't against us having things. It says here that God has given us all things to enjoy. But it's when we put our trust in those things, when we esteem those things as our hope and our certainty... When we make those things a priori- priority over the purpose and will of God, we're guilty of spiritual adultery. And it's something that we must be very careful of. Rather, in verse 18, we're to do good and be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Having that eternal mindset that we talked about in Kingdom Values, not investing merely in this life, but investing in eternity like the steward in Luke 16, recognizing that, you know what, this world is going to burn, it's going to go up in flames. We saw that in Revelation 19, and yet the word of the Lord endures forever. And so does his work. The greatest investment we can make is in eternity. And so the next time you check your bank balance and thinking about how to utilize your money, whether you're going to spend it on yourself as disposable income or you're going to find that place as a nest, nest egg, consider how you can invest in the eternal work of God. Do good, be rich in good works, and be generous, ready to share. When we went out to Watts um, earlier this year in LA, we met a brother and um, it was so humbling to see the way this guy who was a very successful businessman who had a beautiful house, provided for his family, couple nice cars, one for him and his wife, nothing extravagant, that he was a, 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 a founder member of this church in what's in the hood. Now, granted, he was a little way out from the hood where he lived, but he was committed to the work there, and he would have the church over to his house. He's got a pool in the garden. Everyone's out there barbecue for everyone. When the church is doing evangelistic mission, he would just so liberally into that, and not in a patronizing way. The brother servant-hearted. Servant-hearted. He doesn't just sit down and throw money about, but you see him putting out chairs and operating the, the, um, the sound and doing doing translation for the Spanish-speaking people so they can listen to it on a loop. And he's a servant-hearted brother seeking to serve the kingdom of God with all that he is, not just his money. Humbling. Humbling. And this is the effect of the gospel on a life that it has collided with. When the gospel has truly collided with our lives, it will affect us to the core. And so in verse 20, this is why Paul says to Timothy, to guard, to guard, to protect the deposit entrusted Romans one sixteen. Do we know it? What does it say? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation. Amen. It is the power of God to save. It is a precious Precious thing that has been committed to us and that we are to God. It's been deposited into our care. You've seen Jason stay in Transporter, right? <laughs> Cargo is going to get to its destination. We need that kind of Jason stay from fighting mentality come hell or high water, we're gonna guard that deposit which has been entrusted to us and ensure that it it reaches its recipients intact, uncompromised, uncorrupted. In order to do that, we have to avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Because there are so many stories out there. There are so many voices. There are those that even would claim to have knowledge. Some are even accredited, PhDs. And yet, you know what? If it's not according to the gospel, don't wanna hear it. And I'm not gonna get in any kind of beef or wranglings. Furthermore, I'm gonna avoid irreverent babble And this so-called knowledge. Why? For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. And consider this is such a sober place to end this letter. Bearing in mind that in 315 we're told that the purpose of Paul's writing, First Timothy was so that we might know how we ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. It's the ground of truth. The truth is supposed to be preserved intact, promoted faithfully with clarity and outlived with conviction. And yet, we end with a warning. Some professing this false knowledge have swerved from the faith. Will you swerve from the faith? Or will you fight faithful to the finish? Because the answer to that relates completely to what you do with the gospel. Will you swerve from the faith? Because don't think that you're above that. No, that's not me, too solid. Well, Tell you what you do. Run. Fight. Obey. Charge. And guard. Let's pray. Lord, truly you have set apart a of people unto yourself with your own name a people who you have raised up, Lord, from out of darkness and into light, and you've caused the light of your gospel to shine in our hearts and lives. And Lord, you have made us a home for yourself. A household, Lord, not just a a physical building in terms of bricks and mortar, but a spiritual building in which you live. And Lord, we recognize that we are kept by this very gospel that you have charged us to keep. And the only way, the only means by which we can keep this gospel and guard this gospel and share this gospel and fight for and according to is according to your working. And so, Lord, we do ask that you would work in us. We thank you, Jesus. You are highly exalted, the only sovereign God who is Lord of lords and King of kings. You alone are immortal, living in unapproachable light. We recognize that all honor, all glory, all dominion belongs to you. Belongs to you, Lord. Dominion over our very lives. Dominion over our very choices, our very decisions. It all belongs to you, Lord. So help us, we pray. Help us here at Calvary Chapel, South London, Lord, to be a healthy household, Lord, who know how to act, Lord, who know how to behave, because you've made us the ground and pillar of truth. Thank you, Lord Jesus, because some of us, Lord, have, have, have never had a home. We've never had a people to call family. And yet, Lord, You have made us your own. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, may we not be hearers of your word. But may we be doers of your word, Lord. May we not deceive ourselves thinking that we're all right because you know what? (sighs) I've heard it. I know it. I agree with it. Let us be doers of your word also. In Jesus' name, amen. If my heart is overwhelmed And I cannot hear your voice I hold on to what is true Though I cannot see If the storms of life They come And the road ahead Gets seen I will lift these hands In face I will believe I remind myself of all that you've done I remind myself Of all that you've done And the life I 'Cause of your son, love came down. Love came down and rescued me. Love came down and set me. Thank you for making us yours. And Lord, our desire is to live for you. And Lord, where that is not our desire, Lord, we pray that you would conform our desires to your will. Lord, I pray for those who are here today that do not have that desire or think they have that desire and that it ought to be expressed by religious works. Lord I pray that you would bring clarity to the understanding that they have Lord because truly we recognize Lord that the sacrifice that impress you is a broken and contrite heart it's one who recognizes that actually we have nothing to bring to you we have nothing to offer you that would cause you to be impressed with us That would cause you to accept us. That would cause you to excuse us. But rather you had to slay your son for our sin. Because only he alone is worthy. (laughs) Only he alone is worthy to receive your wrath. In exchange for a righteous, credited account. And so, Lord Jesus, with your second coming in mind, knowing that you will come again, you will come again to complete that work which you've started, to consummate the work of the kingdom. We say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ The love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest, remain and abide with us all now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Bless the Lord. To find out more about us,